Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for stage 11 of the Tour de France. Probably the most tranquil stage of the tour so far, I would say. Yeah, there's some nervous moments, but overall... I would say that the doziest stage, we'll get to my siesta and even my dream sequence in a second from Clement Ferrand, which has probably shelled out half the town's annual budget to like three and a half Tour de France stages to Moulin, 180 kilometers. And listen, I thought this wasn't an easy parkour. I thought this could have been a sapping day in the legs because yes, the first 27 Ks are flat, but then there's uh, two climbs separated by a little bit of flat, and yeah, that 2k 5%, then another one and a half at 5%, then a descent straight into another 10 kilometers of climbing at over 4%, with some bit, bit steeper, then another descent, no flat, and then 1.2k 6%, and then another climb. So, really, between 27 and 70ks to go, I thought uh, a breakaway could really press on there, uh, and, and that's quite a difficult start, and then it's lumpy all the way to the finish. Yes, it levels off, but also the wind direction was cross tailwind, largely actually tailwind, which suggested that, you know, it would be difficult to bring bring a group back. Um, but Benji, I, I vastly overestimated the appetite for a breakaway, obviously, in the preview of this stage, which we did yesterday, because it never had a chance. Straight out of neutral, we could see that. Yeah, I didn't really believe in a breakaway for the reason that we saw, and for example, the the early week stage, the week one stage where we also expected some action to happen and a harder breakaway to form. Well, that didn't happen there. So I was like, if it didn't happen there, maybe the people feel, still feel the same. And we had exactly that, a smaller breakaway. Amador Luvel, us going out the front and not the greatest fight for the breakaway in the first place either because there was a moment with Amador just riding in front of the peloton waiting for someone to join him because no one was coming. And then Luvel ended up joining him and like, yeah. We know from that point onwards, there's going to be a straight up sprint. But also when it comes to, you said it a few times, you, you see these sprinter teams like Alperson as paper tigers is the word I learned from you. Would you argue that's even more the case, knowing that Vanderpool hasn't looked the Vanderpool that he was in week one? Well, uh, Vanderpool's probably not going to pull the break back. But yeah, like they don't want to put more than Quinton Hermans on the front pulling all day. They, they don't want to put Dillier there if they can't, don't have to. They'd rather use him with 10Ks to go. So, and the reason, okay, if this was stage three, of course, I would say the break has no chance. Sprinter's teams will go. But I thought now, at this point, the teams would be starting to adapt a little bit and say, if you're an yeah. Intermarche, in a mass group sprint after an easy day, what is Binny's realistic chance to top three, let alone win? Pretty low, if, we're, if we looked at his positioning so far. Mm -hmm. Wellsford with DSM, that he hasn't really been able to sprint yet. Well, uh, it's because of the roundabouts. <laughs> they are, yeah, obviously they're struggling with the roundabouts. We'll get to that as well. FDJ, they have no chance to win. Godou's GC is gone. Stefan Kung, Olivier Legac exist. Uh, Arkea, they have been putting a rider in the break, so credit to them, despite Mozzato actually top tenning. And there's a long list of teams like that, and I think Andres Clear was interviewed, and he was thinking the same way I did. Amador was 
supposed to get into a break of 15. They thought a strong ruler break would go because same with Bora Hansgrohe, Benji, Jordi Mayus, he has no chance. Now I know Bahrain, Yambo, UAE, Bora, they do have GC to think about. Mm-hmm. I would argue actually a break going all the way maybe reduces the hectic in the final 5Ks if the break eventually wins. I, I'm not sure. But yeah, I really was surprised that more teams didn't want to put pressure on. Israel, I give a pass to. They, they went full gas yesterday with two guys, but Simon Clark in this press. So yeah. Because you can still sprint with your sprinter. And it's not like you, like all these sprinters are on their own in the final 1500 anyway. You can yeah. still go for you. Like Mozzato's done it twice now. Still go with your sprinter. So just make Alberson do something. Agreed. Anyway, from that point onwards, after your end, we've got a bit of a funny moment in the race. A moment that caused a bit of uproar on social media. We had a one of those like team radio thingies pop up on screen by UAE Team Emirates. And it basically said, time for plan C. Everybody jump the tiger. <laughs> when the crocodiles have to swim, you jump. And when I read that, I completely died. Because, like, either they're using some kind of code, but I, I, I'd much more likely think that they're just trolling people at this point. I mean, they could be talking about Yumbo Visma as the tiger. Or the crocodile. And Bora the crocodiles. No, I think they're just <laughs> messing around. They knew that was going to be on TV. Um, Luke, our producer, said that... The t- what are the teams getting paid for the radio? 5K each? 5K, correct. I mean, and they, do they have veto rights over it? I, because nothing really serious gets... It's on a serious delay as well. There's basically like, like a group of people behind the scenes that have to check whether something is viable to be broadcasted and hinders the team's tactics and evolve. And we have seen pretty light stuff so far. And this is one of the earliest, one of the only ones that I actually found interesting yeah, because it was yeah. funny. Because all the rest is kind of like a random sentence being said in a car that you would expect to be said in a car that doesn't mean anything. The Void interviews are good when he's on the bike. I enjoy them. They, I actually think they like the interview with Clear. Anyway... I took a siesta at this point, you know, so I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I don't understand the team. I'm not complaining. I haven't, we had another rest day today. You know, I didn't have to watch <laughs> until the final. But, and so I went to sleep. I always feel weird when I wake up from a mid-afternoon nap. And I mean, proper sleep. I was asleep for an hour. And anyway, in my dream, right, I went to, I went to a Spanish class. I was like, Spanish language class. It's just me, right? And Lawson Craddock walks in. <laughs> Lawson Craddock walks in. I go over, I say, hi, I'm Patrick. And he shakes my hand, just death stares me. And I was like, why would Lawson Craddock be angry with me? And I was like, have I ever said bad things about Lawson Craddock? And I was like, why is this in my psyche? Because I remember, like, obviously, you know, I put the mortgage on him in a head-to-head in the Olympics TT, and I think he, he finished behind the refugees on road bikes. But I don't think I got too angry about it. So I don't know. Okay. But he also, it wasn't him in my dream. Like, that's just my mind. So he might not have a problem with me. So I don't know. That was, I was really frazzled, got back up and yeah, came back for the intermediate sprint. Philipson wins again and Cockard is up there again. So hey, they just keep, yeah. I thought Cockard was going to win it. He had a proper lead out <laughs> Philipson in the wheel of I think he tries harder. <laughs> Philipson just came around on the last track. Yeah, Cockard is caring about his intermediate sprints <laughs> while Philipson is caring about to finish a bit more. So. That's the case there. Lecoq has not destroyed the Cofidis drought yet. At least the, the Lecoq drought of Cofidis. We obviously had the Lafayette victory instead. Anyway, we go forward in the race. Obviously, Philipson took those points and 
has a lot of points now. We'll go uh, back to the Green Pearl jersey classification after the stage. But lead out to the sprint was kind of like, I was kind of waiting for stuff to happen. And then at 15k to go, we saw quick step oh, go to then, the though. front. But there oh, was talk ahead. of crosswinds. There was like at 60k's to go, 65k's to go. They went through the town. I was watching it and commentary was like, oh, super nervous. It's kicking <laughs> off. It's kicking off. And I was watching it. I was like, the whole peloton's across the road and they're losing time to Daniel Offs and Amador, who are not trying, <laughs> who are talking to each other. And Lavelle stopped. Two 45-year-olds who are not trying. They're just chatting like, oh, can you be <laughs> fucked anymore? And I was like, it's not kicking off. Um, I mean, I wish it had, but yeah, the crosswinds, uh, that was, yeah. Teams got into front position, blocked it. No one tried to split it. It was chill. Um, and yeah, we got into the sprint again. As you see the Tour de France develop, mm -hmm. get deeper into the race, the full gas sprinting to get into position starts later and later and later each sprint stage. Yeah. This might have happened, I swear, in the first, in stage three, this started happening at 50Ks to go. Now it's happening at 20Ks to go, 17Ks to go. Yeah, but you do see patterns develop, as in teams that couldn't find their way to the front at the end of stages before, in sprint stages before, might try a bit earlier. Meanwhile, people that, teams that went a bit early last time around, they try a bit later, and you see that a tiny bit, that shifting, because Quickstep was at the front with 12, 13k to go this time around with four or five riders, which, that's, that's pretty early to have four or five riders at the front. That's basically DSM territory, but... Talking about DSM, DSM took over two kilometers later with six riders at the front. So yeah. you, you see them, I'd argue that DSM went a bit later than usual because I swear that they often go at 15k to go with six riders <laughs> in my memory. But these two trains are just trying to keep their position to the front. But in reality, you know that if you're at the front at that time, it's very likely that you're spending energy with your first rider and someone else will come around and you don't want to waste your second rider yet because you want to keep him for a bit later. And then they lose position again because both Quickstep and DSM lose positions there and then you see those four other trains Bahrain, Alpacin, Trek, Lotto all trying to get themselves to the front but one question for you we see at certain points in sprints for example today with 7k to go one rider from a team this time it was Israel go to the front without their lead out without their entire team behind them no one's there from Israel maybe in 10th 11th position there's an Israel rider and they start pacing for 500 meters and then disappear for the rest of the race, that, that one rider. What is the point in that? Because they're not positioning their team. They're, they're helping other teams in basically saving energy. You're not putting any pressure on other teams to keep positioning at the front, right? I, guess, I mean, I guess the idea is they move up. They hope the guy stays on their wheel. They look back. Oh, shit, he's not there. And then they kind of, I don't know, hope, he, hope he's somewhere moving up. Um, but yeah, you do see that a lot. It's really hard to keep six guys in a line, yep. in a vertical line in the peloton. It's actually, it's actually impossible to do six guys. Like, it's not possible. You have, the guys are going to get cut off at some point. They're going to go through a, a corner and they're going to lose positions and then they're going to box because they're actually deep. Six is deep in the peloton. So you kind of want three, four guys max. That's what Alperson have really had in the final three, four Ks of this stage. But they didn't get it right today either. Maybe MVDP is a little bit off. But yeah, we see all that fighting. Ewan looks... Uh, I will say, though, Lotto have kept Ewan in good position. For for, Luz, for Du Bois being crashed, for Guarneri yeah. being out, I would say they have done a pretty good job up to 2Ks. In fact, today even deeper for Ewan. Yeah. Um, I think they've done a really good job for him. So anyway, 6-7Ks to go. It's apparently a very technical run, and we've had rain. 
Jumbo Visma launch it with Van Hooydonk to the point where there's virtually splits. For Gatcher, I would say him and UAE really playing Russian roulette today. Um, like Pogaccio was very, very deep with six Ks to go. And I, I think it's the right thing to do, actually. Because Bjerg is dropped. Bjerg yeah. literally was dropped. Pogaccio's option is sit at the back with a meter gap in front of him with his cat-like reflexes and avoid crashing and, you know, have a clear view in front of him. He's not in the melee, saving energy. Option B, the rog glitch, is you panic and you try and move up the inside amongst the sprint teams with no teammates around you. Bad stuff can happen to you. In fact, that did happen to Pogaccio where Jayco closed him in Denmark to the yeah. barriers and he nearly broke his hand last year. So he's doing that. The risk is obviously if there's a mass pile up outside of three cases to go in front of him, which thank God didn't happen, um, he's losing 30 seconds. So... But yeah, that's the game that he doesn't really have an option because he doesn't, Trenton and Bjerg and Langen can't do it. When it comes to quick step now, we're getting towards the last four kilometers, like you mentioned, Yumbo was taking that control that you mentioned. When it comes to quick step, I just see riders losing wheels everywhere. I see Osgren on one side of the road. I see Jakobsen on one side of the, on the other side of the road with Lampard trying to come past him to keep him in position. Then Osgren is basically gone after that because he's not with his train anymore. So he, he retreats backwards. And Alaphilippe, I always see solo i don't necessarily see him with another train surrounding him so he was solo in the in the cir motor circuit too right exactly and Merku is just nowhere to be seen in the last few sprints i yeah. feel like Merku has not been a viable part in this sprint but i also don't know if i can blame him or whether it's jakobsen losing wheels or whether it's everybody losing wheels but they've been very uncompetitive in positioning jakobsen for sure, and it's tough to say because, you know, we've seen many times this year and the last year, Merku moves up, Jakobsen's not on his wheel. And so yeah. is he doing a lot of hand-holding where he's trying to move up? Jakobsen's not there. He stops. He goes back to him. He tries to move up, and by that point, he's fucked. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but yeah, Van Hooydong got pins it on the right-hand side. He's got Laporte in the wheel, then Vingegaard Van Aert virtually splits it and huge acceleration. And then they get past 3Ks. He keeps going a little bit, 2.5Ks. And then Laporte gets the front. And I was like, this is... Now Laporte's eating a lot of wind. Like, he's not soft pedaling. He's still pedaling, but he's not going full. But he's also supposed to be the last man for Wout. And then he gets waved over. And this is what they've done quite well. They adopt a really good position. Because Alperson get all jumbled up today. There's no Vanderpool, really. Certain crowd had been used early. I think it was Rickard at 1.1. Yeah. Du Bois, second wheel. Then Laporte, Van Aert, Ewan Philipson, Maus, Pedersen, Deeper, and Co. And it's all looking good for Jumbo Visma. This is looking good for Wout Van Aert. He's got Philipson not on his wheel. He's got three last men in front of him with just 60 seconds left. That should be enough. And then Alberson pulls off. Du Bois mm -hmm. goes. Alessing and Laporte's going to go, and he doesn't. They get waved across. Sturvin on the one side, on the left, with Pedersen in the wheel. Mez gets big lead out for Groenewegen, and it's the same as uh, the other day, Benji, where Laporte, he either needs to go earlier, yep. or he needs to flick Van Aert onto another wheel. Because what happened again today is, waved across, Laporte basically boxes Van Aert in, sprint over. And Groenewegen's coming with huge speed. This is the best opportunity for him with Mezges. I think Mezges has actually been quite good late in these sprints. He delivered him pretty well the other day. Pedersen, I think, has it come from too deep. 
Philipson's on the just surfing wheels. He's got no Van der Poel in front of him. And then Groenewegen just opens up. And I'm thinking he's going to win because Groenewegen's got really top, top end usually. And, and when he does get clean air and he's been brought up and he's got, he, he can really win these sprints. And Philipson just gets into his wheel and then absolutely torches him. Philipson wins this sprint. Like the speed differential in the last 50 meters was crazy. Because for Philipson to win by a bike length, He's just by far the best guy here. It's not even close. He didn't have, you can't say, oh, Van der Poel gifted it to him today. Yeah. It's just Philipson's too good, winning ahead of Groenewegen and Bauhaus, another third. They'll be happy with that. Cockard, fourth. Pedersen, fifth. Christoph, sixth. Marsado, seventh. Then Sagan, Van Aert, Wellsford. And then, you know, you've got teams that are really going for the sprint today. Mayus, 11th. Binney, 13th. Ewan, 15th. Jakobsen, 16th. So, yeah, like, like guys like Malsado are almost getting more consistent results than Jakobsen. Yeah, that's true. And I want to go over a few of those names for a second. Caleb Ewan got, got basically snatched the exact same way that Laporte did. He was also in that train that got overcome on both sides. And yeah. if you're a solo sprinter in that position, it's very hard to adapt to that. You almost need to launch early the first time, get into a wheel of a sprinter that's passing you with momentum, and then hope that you've still got energy to try and sprint again. So from that position, it's very hard to still win from Caleb Ewan. When it comes to Laporte, I feel like the right decision would be launching early, but not at full speed yet. I feel like we've seen this before by Merku, like a first kick to be able to have momentum so Wout can decide to go on another wheel, yeah. or that the lead out, Laporte can decide to still lead him out afterwards. Because right now, they're basically being torched upon by, by the waves that come around them, and their race is completely gone. Wellsford, another name you mentioned, he was gone at a roundabout again. <laughs> What's up with Wellsford and roundabouts? Like, whoever is planning these sprints, these last two kilometers at DSM, needs to figure out how roundabouts work and which side is the fastest because they always take the wrong side of a roundabout. They did a few days ago where Wellsford was sent into the Shadow Realm, exactly the same thing today. So that's just leaving your sprinter in an uncompetitive position. And like, we haven't seen Wellsford be competitive in the first plate as in this Tour de France whenever he was in position, but they've also made it super hard to begin with for him. So we haven't seen him in true form. And when it comes to Alpecin and, and Philipson, Philipson shows today that he does need Van der Poel. Van der Poel was dropped in the last few kilometers off the back of the peloton. He's clearly not in the best shape, I would, I would try and consider, based on that. But Ricard doing a good job at leading yeah. the group out. And it feels like... Sometimes in these situations, when Ricard is ahead and then we see Philipson in sixth position, we sometimes criticize the first rider for keeping up tempo. But if your sprinter is as good as Philipson in, in following other riders and being able to make his way to the front, regardless of Ricard telling pace at the front, does it often help that Ricard is pacing at 1.1k at the front, sixth position Philipson? Does it help lining the group out so that Philipson can come around? It depends where it is. So obviously, Rickard should not do that at 300 to go. If yeah. he does that at 350, 400, he is making sure Philipson can't win because then Laporte will lead out Van Aert and you and all Van Aert will win. Uh, but 1K to go with your guy in six wheel, it's fine. That, that keeps the speed up. It stops Trek. It makes it harder for Trek to move up ahead of Philipson because yeah. maybe Sturvin at that point, the speed slows down. He moves Pedersen ahead of Philipson uh, with that opportunity and that deceleration. So yeah, another sprint. I mean... Philipson's kind of like we're not probably talking about enough Benji because we you know we th obviously thought Philipson would be the best but four stages four out of four in the first sprint stages he could win six sprint stages this tour he could win over six stages maybe like 
Obviously, I didn't expect that. Mainly because I thought teens would stop wanting to um, get slaughtered in the finish. So, yeah, he's <laughs> just... Yeah, Alberson can't be happier. Four out of the first 11 stages. And in the, K in the uh, green jersey battle, he's on 323 points. That's Pocard's in second, 150 points behind. So, you know, it's mathematically probably done as long as he doesn't crash out and keeps rolling over. He doesn't even need to win intermediate sprints. If he just rolls over in third or fourth, he's winning green easily. Do you miss the green jersey battle? Because I feel like I haven't had many years in the Tour de France where there was an actual fight. I recall there being a fight ages ago. Was it, I'm going to Google it while I'm talking about it. It was a fight between... I think Gilbert and Rojas in 2011 or something, and it might be that none of them actually ended up winning it. He, uh, Rojas got second in that green jersey classification. Cavendish ended up winning with only 50, 60 points on Rojas, with Gilbert in third on 100 points of Cavendish. So that was one of the years where I was like, damn, that was a year where there was an actual fight. We saw Gilbert going in the break to get points. We saw Rojas going in the break to get points, and we had a pure sprinter coming around and taking it in the end. But do you miss the green jersey battle? Yeah, it's nice, especially on days like this. You really have to watch the intermediate sprint or, you know, days like tomorrow, you really think, okay, is someone with better fitness going to try and get in the breakaway tomorrow and, and take those intermediate points? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, of course, you know, Philipson, He's just too good. Um, I have, you know, Cocard, he just shows the value of consistent results. You know, Bauhaus has three, three podium results in stages already and another top 10 in these sprints. Like, he's so consistent. Yeah. With, they've done such a good job for him, and he's just so, like... And this whole team's like Quickstep. They have one... I know Jakobsen got crashed by Philipsen. I accept that. But let's not pretend that the positioning problems are solely because he crashed, because they've also been a problem before the crash and throughout the rest of this year. So, um... Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see on stages <laughs> eighteen and nineteen. What? Yeah, because this is the last sprint stage uh, until next. I think uh, in, in a week. It's a, a week till the next sprint yeah, stage. But I do feel like I have the feeling of a second week. This feels like a pure second week, starting with a breakaway stage. We've got a follow up with a sprint stage. We've got numerous other breakaway stages coming up, and maybe one GC stage that I've got my eyes on in this week as well but the majority is likely to be breakaway stage. And I'm like, this is, a, this is week two of a Grand Tour. Yeah. Do you remember at any point in your mind a Grand Tour with a second week that was better than the first week and the third week? Um, Tour de France last year. What? Really? Grenoble, baby. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Grenoble was second week. You're right. I can't Fuck. remember the other stages, though, which suggests to me that <laughs> might not have been good. Alp was well, a, that Alp one was stage was better than all the Mont. other stages combined. What else happened? Can't remember. Stage 15, <laughs> Yumbo just crashed. Everyone crashed. Yeah. Uh, nah, yeah. First week was probably better last year, too. I don't know. Um, so second week in 2021 was dire. Ooh, that was rough. Dual uh, second anyway. weeks. Yeah. Deadly. A bad memory because no the difference <laughs> is i don't mind breakaways i love breakaways the problem yeah. in 2021 was they were 50k solos with no one chasing the yeah. breakaway battle yesterday was unbelievable all day that was a brilliant stage but imagine if nayland's went with 60ks to go and the other guys stopped chasing him suddenly a little <laughs> bit less interesting the that's Chavez what happened solo. with conrad <laughs> yeah the Chavez 85k well, anyway speaking <laughs> of a breakaway stage tomorrow from Roland to belleville, belleville on Beaujolais, 169 kilometers long. 
we are heading towards the Alps, across the Auvergne Rhone Alps region. And this is very, very hilly, pretty much up and down all day with declines increasing in intensity to the end. First 5k is false flight uphill, then a 4.3k, 3.5% climb, then a 4.5k, 5.6% climb, a category 3 descent, and then another 2k, 6% climb. So the breakaway should form in that first 38, 40 kilometers in the first yeah. hour. It'll be a fierce fight for it. And Strong climbers can get in that break, but also rulers because they're not the steepest climbs either. It's very similar to the start uh, yesterday. Then another couple of little climbs, then around the intermediate sprint in the valley, about 30Ks, mostly flat. And then three climbs. This rumor, uh, this really reminds me of the um, Conrad Colbrelli Godou stage yeah. in 2021 tour. 5.2K, 6% descent. 5.5K, 6.2% descent. Five and a half Ks, 7.7%. Now we're getting a little bit tougher to the Col de la Rosière, and that also has bonification seconds on top, 8.52 before a descent. A little uphill kicker with 14 Ks to go, and then a flat finish. Do UAE go for the bonies tomorrow, Benji? Is this a I breakaway stage? Pog can win the reduced group sprint and take the bonies. Bernard can also still be in the peloton. so No chance. If he's in the break initially, then he can be in the peloton afterwards. Maybe. I mean, his climbing didn't look too crash hot to me yesterday. I believe this is a breakaway stage, honestly. And I believe there's numerous riders that will try and go into the breakaway, like 30 riders that will try and go in the breakaway. You no, no, I agree with you. More. I agree. I'm just saying, w could you see UA possibly trying that? Trying, maybe, but I don't think they'll succeed in controlling the breakaway. So, names that I'm, I'm mentioning, for example, we've got. The likes of Pinot, who will try. It's sure. also a, a climby start, so he's got more chance to get in the break than a stage like Grand Colombier, who I would see him trying to get in the break in, but the flat start doesn't help him. Here, the, the climby start helps him a bit. Ben O'Connor will try again. Mankies yep. might try again as well to, to get in the breakaway, to try and get in the top 10 that way. But He will try for sure. <laughs> Berte and Maduaz are riders that I'm looking forward to tomorrow, especially Maduaz <laughs> on this parkour. They're not going to let him in the break. Maduaz is going to win this shit. FDJ were lined up next to Bora and Yumbo and UAE. I was like, guys. Maduaz is going to win this shit and nobody can stop him. They're not going to let him in the break. FDJ. It's happening. I'm sorry. And maybe you've You're been in speaking denial. to Matteo and you said, hey, Mark, here's the GC standings. Um, I don't think he listens to me. <laughs> I think anyone from, as you said, anyone from 8th to 20th will be trying to get in the break in GC. Skelmorza? Skelmos, Pitcock should try. Pitcock really must try because yeah. Bora were very vulnerable yesterday. And I don't think Pollitt, Haller, Van Poppel, and even Jungles not look that good this tour. They are vulnerable. And I think Pitcock with, and Ineos, I mean, again, how, how many fucking grand tours have I said this where they have two GC leaders and they need to try something a little bit more aggressive? But Pitcock might be the guy to do it because I think he is more aggressive. He, if it's chaotic at the start, uphill, must try and get in the breakaway tomorrow. Um, he's, you know, he's on six, five and a half minutes. Vingegaard Pogaccio will not be too concerned about that. They know that it's Bora's job and Bahrain's job and you and Jayco's job to chase. He should try and get in the break and do a Bill Bow. And yeah, Lander, like all these guys, Kelderman, Alaphilippe, yeah. uh, Woods. But I do think we're not mentioning some riders that have done well in the last two stages, like Nylans, for example, Kwiatkowski. Jorgensen, those were riders that were close to a victory yeah. so far. So Zimmerman. 
I definitely put them on the page of like these riders can win this stage as well. And I think we, I think there's a, a big chance we've mentioned at least a winner of this stage. But who is your destined winner? Your one man, Jorgensen. Okay, mine is Maduas. <laughs> Maduas. Okay, they're very similar. Right? They're they're very very similar riders. I guess. Yeah. Well, Somewhat. top ten, top ten classics, RVV, about the same yeah. height, same weight, top ten stage races, no sprint. Um, <laughs> Maduas has a sprint in some occasions, like when he's racing in Luxembourg, he wins almost every sprint. Never watched that. <laughs> um, Chicane, yeah, Trek will be wanting multiple in. I wonder what Yumbo will do. Could this uh, is this going to be? Because this is harder than yesterday, the finish. So. Mm-hmm. Where's Aaron Buru, Benji? Can you give me an update? Shouldn't he be winning this? Who is Aaron Buru? I've never heard of this man. <laughs> I reject looks, his presence. <laughs> looks good for him. Uh, James <laughs> Shaw for EF will be in. Yeah, it's going to be a big break. So yeah, good luck anyone trying to control it. And that's the, that, to round off this podcast, to go back to my rant earlier, it's very curious to me that yesterday, 18 teams killed three riders each, tried desperately desperately to get in the breakaway yeah a break which is destined to have absolute killers in it and really strong riders so their win probability even top three probability is very low i'm talking they have bill bow o'connor gc riders and yet today they're like don't even bother trying and then tomorrow i bet you every team will kick off it yep. makes no sense to me <laughs> anyway maybe victor Victor Lafay's climbing, I mean, based on stage one, we would have said Victor Lafay cleans this from the break, but he's climbing, I don't know where he's been. Maybe he's been conserving. Uh, anyway. Maybe he could win. It's not really possible. Yeah, he could win too. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's our picks. I forgot. I picked Jorgensen. You picked Madawas. Uh, breakaway win tomorrow, and hopefully it's an exciting stage. I think the first hour is going to be the one to watch. Then it'll settle in, and then the final will be good too. So, oh yeah, you got some other news? We heard Remco's going to the vault, and that Melir is being left home for it. What's your reaction? I don't care. I knew Remco. <laughs> I knew Remco was doing the Vuelta, but yeah, Merlier must be happy not to go. Yeah, he probably is <laughs> just staying home, doing the Bene tour because we're not acknowledging <laughs> the Lux part of the Benelux tour. But <laughs> <Bene> um, tour. <laughs> like he I must think, be on board with it. Yeah, but the way Lefebvre said it in like Belgian media is like such a weird thing to say because he he called him a brave youngen, which is basically brave a good young boy. man. Uh, a oh, good boy. brave doesn't mean brave. No, it's like, good boy. <laughs> Which is kind of a weird thing to say. Like, uh, will Merlier be unhappy? No, 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 he's a good boy. <laughs> That's so weird to say. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, do they have seven better riders than Merlier to take? Well, they probably won an entire team built around Remco. Doesn't exist yet on that team of the squad, so <laughs> may as well take Merlier. I mean, I think he's like, yeah. meh, I don't want to do three weeks anyway. Climbing yeah. up mountains, doing that tourmalade stage. No, thing. Weird news coming out of Quickstep. Wasn't there... Are they trying to sell the team? That's the news. Yeah. There was like a scoop from Zonneveld um, that Lefebvre wants to sell the team and cash out. What is it's going very on? mixed. Are they ruining Remco's career? Hot takes. <laughs> I don't have a clue. The thing is, like, we, we, we've heard the rumor from Zonneveld, like you mentioned, that someone's... Well, that the team was perhaps being sold. Then we heard another rumor that a, an American investment company actually bought the team for like what was it 15 million that they yeah. said but then Lefebvre Way came into Harlem Belgian media okay I'll, I'll give it to you in a second <laughs> <laughs> but then uh then Belgian media Lefebvre had an interview in there where he said 15 million 
Uh, Bacala, who is the majority owner of Quickstep, yeah. owns 80% of the team. Lefebvre only owns 20% of the team. So he can't decide anything, I'd argue, when it comes to selling the team. It's all Bacala that gets to decide. And it's basically what Lefebvre says in that interview. I can't decide anything, but I'd be shocked if, if Bacala is interested in, in just 15 million, because that's peanuts for Bacala, is what Lefebvre says, basically. So that sounds like a denial from that end. But there's so oh. many rumors about it where yeah. I'm like, I don't know, man. And there, there's some rumors about, about teams trying to bid for Evenepoel in the meanwhile. And then Lefebvre talks about it like it's actually true. And yeah. man, I, I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> Under contract next year, they have nine riders. Under yeah. contract in 25, they have three riders. Like, it all points to the fact that they're not signing long-term deals. It looks to me like Lefebvre wants to cash out. Now, I think he's got a rude surprise coming to him. And the fact is that cycling teams are not profitable businesses. And uh, 15 million, you'll be lucky, I think. I mean, maybe they do get it. Good for them because Remco's contract's so valuable. But Sky sold the Ineos team for a pound, I think. One pound. They yeah, just symbolically. Won. Right? They just won four Tour de France's or whatever. All these races. And the team, the, the company that owned the team and the World Tour license, worthless. They literally said it has no value. So, because the actual assets these teams have are the rider contracts, which you could also say are a liability, depending on whether yeah. over or under, some, <laughs> some coats and buses, and some stuff, so, and, and so the sponsorship <laughs> contracts. So yeah. $15 million for a, uh, the liability to have to pay $25 million every year. I don't know. Um, anyway, we'll see. But I don't think it, it doesn't sound to me like a stable ship with a long-term vision for Remco. There's no, it doesn't sound like that to me at all. Uh, so yeah, could Remco be going? Maybe in the off-season we'll have an emergency pod, Benji. Ineos will, Ineos will bring him in. I mean, What is the weirdest team that Remco could go to? Intermarché. It would actually make Movistar. sense. Intermarché would make sense. Wiesbeek, Belgian. He speaks French and, and Dutch. Wiesbeek, Belgian? No, the team is Belgian. Vies oh, okay. I mean, Wiesbeek is yeah, actually yeah. competent. <laughs> um, they don't have the money. I mean, Remco is not getting paid more than a lot of riders. So, yeah, but, but still yeah, he probably want to get an upgrade. <laughs> the weirdest team. Yumbo. <laughs> Imagine. Bardiani. Him and, him and Van Aert <laughs> attacking each other in races. Yeah. Ineos the one that makes the most sense. Yeah, um, it makes the I most think. sense. And Thomas, uh, rumors of extension now for two years. Two so years, yeah. they have someone, but it's not a future vision either. Eh? When it comes to the rest of the team, there's not really that person that has the future laid in front of him well, for GC at the moment either. Because Rodriguez Dane might play this tour and he's going to well, leave. Yeah, if, if he indeed leaves, then he's gone. Hart's supposedly leaving to Trek. So yeah. Bernal isn't really showing that he will go to no. the top step again. Martinez isn't showing that he can do it at all. No, and he's gone, probably. Who the fuck else exists in that team? Sivakov's gone, most yeah. likely. So they're cleaning house. And so, yeah, the space for him. Um, so that would make the most sense. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. Anyway, that was our pod today. A uh, bit, of, bit of news in the background. A lot of extensions announced, like Netherlands and the other rider that Bill Bowell. Um, yeah. I presume they're already signed before and they just were like, this is a great time to announce it. But yeah, a yeah. lot of transfer stuff and that's going to heat up in three weeks where all of them will get announced. So I can't wait for that at the start of August. But thanks for listening as always. Let me know what dream you had last night uh, in the comments down below <laughs> and we'll see you tomorrow. Ciao. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.